We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, Sunshine. This is Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This week, we'll be talking, well, Copa America uh, group stage is done, so we're in the knockout stage. The Euros, they're in the knockout stage. Uh, MLS, LFG, water skiing, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this Tuesday, June 29th? Yes, again, we are coming at you a day late because, as you know, we are knee-deep in the summer of soccer, and uh, Mossy in particular has all sorts of stuff going on. So please forgive us, but we are getting the uh, State of the Union out once again, a day late. How you doing, Mossy? I am doing well. I know I've made this reference before on the podcast. I grew up in New York listening to the Mike and the Mad Dog radio program. I used to love when they did a show during the NCAA college basketball tournament, and they'd be describing the action while doing a radio show, and it's a similar dynamic today. I have the England-Germany game on. It's nil-nil in the second half, and this could time out perfectly because where Jeff Hernandez placed our Euro chat in the rundown, we could be offering fresh takes as soon as this game goes final, unless it goes into extra time. But what are the odds a Euro match goes to extra time? All right, well, we're going to get into all of that. But yes, we are uh, watching this as as it plays out. Oh, Kai Havertz just hit a bomb. Uh, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. But it, but didn't go in the net. So it's still 0-0 from where, uh, from where we are right now. Mossy, uh, are you watching anything besides soccer? There's so much soccer to watch. I can't imagine that a lot of people have a lot of other stuff going on when it comes to their watching habits. But are you taking a break at all from all the soccer out there? Well, good news for your school teacher friend. Uh, part two, season one of Lupin has dropped on Netflix. Five more episodes. I'm off and running on those. I've watched the first two. I will probably finish in the next couple of days. So I have that going on. My wife actually mentioned that because she knows that you are a Lupin fan. And uh, she she obviously predicted that you were going to be all over that. Uh, she is is too. Um Although it hasn't not been a ringing endorsement uh, yet so far for uh, for what's so, for what's out now, so we'll see how that uh, how that goes. I, as we uh, mentioned last week, continue to be knee deep in uh, Downton Abbey, 
and there's all sorts of stuff. And I know you haven't started watching it, so I'm not going to uh, talk about any specifics when it when it comes to it. But I I can't stop watching it. Uh, I want to stop watching it, but I can't stop watching it. But it's not necessarily because it is awesome. It's just because I have this a compel uh, compelling need to to finish it and get it done and finish the binge. So I will continue on. I am in season uh, three, almost finishing up season three. So I'm about to start season four. So well, well on my way when it comes to Downton Abbey. You got a lot of work to do, my friend, when the summer of soccer is over to catch up. Um, All right. Should we light this candle? Yep. All right. We're going to start off first uh, with MLS, which rolls on and all sorts of stuff happening uh, when it comes to Major League Soccer on and off the field. Uh, by the way, uh, announcement today when it comes to the All-Star game for Major League Soccer, which we have the privilege and the opportunity to uh, broadcast on Fox uh, this summer here in Los Angeles, featuring the MLS All-Stars versus the League MX uh, All-Stars and all of that entails and all the narratives with the current and potential future relationships and connections between these two countries and, uh, well, three countries and leagues out there. They also announced the Skill Challenge. Now, I have done the Skill Challenge. I broadcast the Skill Challenge many, many years ago, and they're they're bringing it back. And for those that don't know, it's you know, you get uh, uh, some players from one one side and players from the other side, and they have all these different skills, whether it's banging it off the crossbar or kicking it in the air or juggling or accuracy and all that kind of stuff. This actually ends up being a, a pretty fun made-for-TV type of event, and you get to see some of these stars in a different type of situation. But you also uh, get to see, see them do some really, really good things. And that those competitive juices, I'm telling you right now, they come out because now it's all on them. It's individual, and they have to, uh, they have to perform. It's done in front of a crowd. And obviously, it's televised. So we're looking forward to that. All right. Uh, Speaking of stars, Mossy, uh, let's start off with Chicharito, okay, who has completely changed himself. And I think in doing so, changed the way that we are assessing the Chicharito experiment when it comes to Major League Soccer and the Los Angeles Galaxy. He continues to roll on in terms of the goal scoring and in this Classico that is... Uh, the Los Angeles Galaxy versus San Jose. In the latest installment, it was up in San Jose in a packed house up there uh, in uh, in San Jose. And the Galaxy came in and absolutely destroyed San Jose. And Chicharito got two goals. He is at, what is he at, nine or ten right now, Mossy? Where's he at? Uh, ten. Jeez, double digits already for Chicharito. And for those that watched the utter failure that was last year for Chicharito, you know that he made... A lot of changes, uh, both mental and and physical, and it is resulting in a better Chicharito, and that is resulting in a better Galaxy. And yes, Greg Vanny has to be looked at already as uh, a potential Coach of the Year candidate when it comes to what he is doing with this Galaxy and how he has turned uh, their fortunes and where they are, and that he's getting Chicharito uh, to to score goals. Did you watch any of that, uh, Mossy, the Classico? I did. And first off, Kobe Jones still rides for this rivalry. I did a League MX game recently with uh, Keith Costigan and Kobe Jones, and they got into a heated debate over what is the biggest rivalry in MLS, Seattle, Portland, or Galaxy San Jose. But the interesting thing about this Chicharito performance is it comes in the midst of this Mexico controversy regarding the Gold Cup. I don't know if you've been following this, but Chicharito was placed on the preliminary roster. Uh, It does not appear he will be on the final roster, but somebody who will be is Rogelio Funes Mori, who is this uh, Argentinian-born striker for Monterrey who just recently became eligible for Mexico, and Tata Martino is a big fan of his. 
and so it looks like Funes Mori will be on the Gold Cup roster and not mm-hmm. Chicharito. Although, in a game we'll get to shortly, Alan Pulido got injured in Sporting KC's win over LAFC. So that might open the door back up for Chicharito. But as of now, it doesn't appear he'll be on that Gold Cup squad. And so that's triggered all sorts of debate in Mexico. You got Hugo Sanchez chiming in. And is it right that somebody like Funes Mori takes a spot away from Mexico's all-time leading scorer when he's in the kind of form that he's in? So all of that is swirling around. And in the midst of all that, Chicharito, another big game, scores two goals. So I was happy to see that. Well, well, Tata Martino, we know, ascribes to my theory that form is fallacy, okay? And uh, I think he understands that it's not as simple as that when it comes to a national team. Having said that, a national team that is looking for a striker, a number nine, somebody to play that position in the way that Mexico is, and by the way, the U.S. is, is too, to have Chicharito, given his history and his ability, scoring goals. This isn't a Josie Altador type of situation uh, where he's just based on based on name. The guy is a goal scorer. He's there. He's available. I mean, from a selfish perspective and a Fox perspective, we would love to see Chicharito, Chicharito be part uh, of El Tri. But even if he's not, we get to watch him with the Los Angeles Galaxy. I will say to your point, uh, when, when you're talking to Kobe Jones, who we had the pleasure of working with uh, a bunch of days this week, and it was just fun to see my old friend and to... And, and, and to reminisce and talk about a lot of different things. I, I disagree with him when it comes to the biggest rivalry. Uh, I still think that it's Los Angeles uh, LAFC versus the Los Angeles Galaxy. And while I know there's a history when it comes to San Jose, uh, you know, the noisy neighbors and everything that, that is involved in this city of Los Angeles, I think that that has come in and taken over as uh, the biggest rivalry, not just in Los Angeles, but the biggest rivalry in Major League uh, Major League Soccer. All right, so uh, what, what do you want to move to now? Down there in uh, FC Dallas, speaking of of great teams and maybe coaches of the year, certainly someone like Bruce Arena would be in the conversation with what he has done with the New England Revolution. And by the way, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the New England Revolution in my Ask Alexi segment. But the New England Revolution sitting in the in the uh, top of the East, uh, go down to Dallas and Pepe scores twice. And they beat the number one team. And look, I know that at times the FC Dallas can be the the brunt of some jokes given the fact that they rely so heavily and have kind of hung their hat on development as opposed to just being consistently good in in Major League Soccer. But this is a nice little, speaking of caps, a nice little feather in the cap to, uh, and it just, it, it's so MLS. It's such an MLS result. Uh, anything there, Mossy? Well, another big weekend for teenagers. You mentioned yep. Pepe scoring twice. Uh, in the game we just talked about, uh, San Jose Galaxy. San Jose's goal did come courtesy of Kate Cowell. Yeah. Uh, Quinn Sullivan with that amazing bicycle kick in that crazy Chicago-Philadelphia 3-3 game. So, yeah, youngsters continue to shine. And another one that's been terrific this season is Caden Clark, who we found out recently is going to move to Leipzig in 2022. So I'm sure you have lots of thoughts on that. But, yeah, yeah teenagers I mean, continuing to impress. If this is It's fun when we see such young talent actually, one, get an opportunity, but more importantly, perform. Because, uh, you know, as I've said before, I, I, I am not awed or I don't necessarily want to pay money to see young talent. I want to see young talent that's good and, that's per, uh, and, that's, and that is producing. So when this young talent, that, that they are on the field and producing, that's what's great. It's even better that they are so young because you have so many, so many years and theoretically they are going to get better. Now, that's only theoretical. It doesn't always, always uh, end out like that. But to see them taking their opportunity, and any of us that, that have ever been around this game, you know that there are opportunities that come along. 
And it could be because of injury. It could be because of change of coach. It could be because of COVID. It could be because of a million different things. And you got to be ready when they point to you. And I think that there's much more belief and I guess to a certain extent courage when it comes to coaches and teams to tap on some of their developmental talent that they uh, that they have and believe that putting them in the game is not just for show, but it's actually going to help them win games. And we are seeing that time and time again. And yeah, that's uh, that's wonderful stuff to see. Um, we did the uh, Austin-Columbus game in the brand new stadium down there in uh, in Austin. Uh, what were your initial thoughts on the stadium? And then I'll give you uh, and then I'll give you mine. What's it called? I forgot what it was called. Uh, Q2 Stadium. Q2 Stadium there down there in uh, Austin, Texas. Incredible atmosphere. The only thing missing is the chance to celebrate a goal because their first two home games there have been nil-nil. But I have to say that Austin-Columbus game was one of the more fun nil-nils I've covered in a long time. It was end-to-end action. You just kept thinking, man, if they ever do score a goal, this place is going to erupt. Uh, so I've, I found it great atmosphere, great stadium, and just thoroughly enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, look, we've talked about this this Austin team and the phenomenon that we've seen many times over the years in Major League Soccer where you're opening up a new stadium and so you're spending a lot of the the, the beginning of the year and, and oftentimes multiple, multiple games in a row playing on the road. And then you bring it back to that stadium and everything is supposed to be great and you're supposed to amass points. The problem for Austin is that their their long road stand was actually good. They got a, a point per game, which is which, which set them up. Now they can't score goals and they can't find wins in this new stadium. Two uh, two games, two zero zero uh, results. We actually have them again this week uh, as they face Portland. So we get another bite at the apple. They get another bite at the apple. But to your point, the environment was was incredible. I, it, the pictures, the the way that the the, the cameras are picking up um, was wonderful. I love how close the fans are, and you know it's it's this evolution of stadia in Major League Soccer and everybody trying to one-up themselves. And, you know, that it was against Columbus. Um, it, it's built-in storylines, right? Built-in narratives given the history and given, you know, all the consternation. And, you know, as we came on air talking about it because, you know, we don't want to avoid the, the elephant in the room. And that is the fact that they have this history and that the fan bases don't like each other and certainly don't like the leadership when it comes uh, to each uh, to each other, given the way that this unfolded. And yet, namaste, people, okay? Both teams uh, ended out looking great and everything worked out in the end, okay? And I, I came on air and I said, the best thing that ever happened to Columbus uh, was Austin coming along. Now, that doesn't mean that there wasn't pain along the way. There doesn't, that doesn't mean that I don't recognize and respect uh, all of the effort uh, that, it, that it took and all of the, you know, the real problems. And like I said, the pain that everybody went through. But you're looking at Columbus right now. And because of the situation with Austin, you became relevant. You were able to get new local ownership, Ohio ownership. You ultimately, which ultimately resulted in a better team, which resulted in an MLS Cup, which resulted in a brand new stadium, which resulted in new and much more important uh, types of sponsorships, which resulted in a new training situation. And from an MLS perspective, Austin is in a very attractive market. You got a you got a team in Austin with a new stadium, with a new training facility, all that all that kind of stuff. So it all worked out in in the end, and so. I'm I'm happy for that, um, and 
the environment that they have created already, to your point, Moss, it, it, it's incredible. It just needs that goal. And who knows what it's going to look like when that ball finally goes, uh, finally goes in the net. And by the way, to the, to the Columbus folks out there, you're opening your new stadium this week too. And it's going to be awesome. And I can't wait to visit it. And you should celebrate it. And you should reflect. And you should be incredibly proud of all the work and the belief and the pride that went into making that happen. And, uh, and I can't wait to see it. And you got a really, really, uh, uh, really, really good team. So we'll look forward to to both of those things happening, and uh, the ability for everybody to kind of explode and celebrate and see what that looks like for the first time ever from an MLS perspective in that uh, in that Austin Stadium. But from a from a competitive perspective, they got to get these wins and they got to start amassing points because this one point type of stuff at home that's not going to fly in a very competitive uh, conference and trying to make the the playoffs for the first time, which is the goal for any type of expansion team. Uh, let's see. What else, Mossy? How about that uh, Tiago stunner down there in uh, uh, for NYCFC? And when I say NYCFC, I mean in uh, New Jersey, in Harrison, New Jersey, at Red Bull Arena, to beat DC United right at the death. I am no longer Ian Joy's favorite Brazilian. Uh, Ian and I were texting up a storm about this kid on Sunday night. Yeah, amazing story. We've talked about this uh, pipeline of young Brazilians, uh, but all the focus had been on Brenner to Cincinnati and Thales Magnu, another young Brazilian who NYCFC signed to great fanfare. And instead, it's this kid that's grabbing all the headlines. They got him from Bahia. And he has two goals in two games for them. And yeah, just an incredible uh, last gasp winner here as they rally to beat DC United. So yeah, very excited to see that for sure. It was, I mean, it was excited. And look, Ian Joy can get excited at the, uh, you know, watching a turtle cross the road, okay? And he can, <laughs> and he can make it exciting. And I, and I loved listening to his, uh, to his call and to his reaction. And it deserved, it, it deserved. You, you couldn't help but be excited to see that type of stuff uh, happen. And, and the speed in which that he got down the other end of the field and then the wherewithal to bring it back that was uh that was wonderful to see there in uh up there in cascadia up there in uh, in portland the loons came in and got themselves a very very nice uh one nothing win over the timbers up in a very hot cascadia i mean uh, last time i checked it went up to 109 or something like that they even pushed the game back to just try to make it as cool as possible but it was it was hot. It was hot uh, in terms of the environment and the weather, and it was hot uh, on the field. It's a great win for the Loons to be able to come into uh, to Portland. And, uh, you know, the big story coming out of there is, and as we come on the air right now, nothing more has been said or nothing more has happened. Uh, but there is an ongoing investigation up there uh, because there was a moment in the game where Diego Chada uh, of, the, uh, of the Timbers just stopped and... Obviously, something was going on. We didn't know what was going on. We come to find out that there was an allegation of, uh, you know, something that was uh, 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 a derogatory type of uh, racial comment that was alleged out there. Now, um, the game continued on. And, you know, there's all sorts of questions. And Giovanni Savarese, who I, I love and, res- and respect, the coach of the Timbers, came out after the game and, you know, said he was very disappointed in the way that it was all handled, although he didn't really say what should have been done differently. You know, here, here's ultimately the way that I look at it. You know, the referee in the moment recognized that something had happened, okay? Didn't gloss over it, recognized that something had happened. He stopped the game, which in and of itself recognizes that, that, that something has happened. He uh, communicated. He communicated with the players. He communicated with the coaches. He communicated with his other referees to 
let everybody know why was why it was stopping and why we were having this moment. Also, to try to garner as much information as he possibly as he possibly could. But without any direct in, uh, information and uh, and clarification and proof in that moment that something had happened, and he didn't get that, there's nothing necessarily that he can do. Now, the investigation is going to happen, and uh, you know. The statements have come out, and we'll let that investigation uh, continue on. But I know that that was the big talking point when it comes uh, when it comes to that game. And obviously, uh, Chara thought that he heard something. I don't doubt that in the least uh, in the way that he reacted. It just remains to be seen whether something actually actually was said. But I know that that the referee crew was getting some. Uh, some blowback and some criticism for how they handled. And yet, when I see this criticism, I don't see anybody actually saying what they should have, uh, what they should have done. I actually think they followed protocol and that they handled a very difficult situation in the best way that they, uh, that they possibly could. And ultimately, when it comes to the, uh, to, it comes to the game, that's a bad result for, uh, for Portland, okay, against a, a, loon, te- uh, a loon team that came, into, uh, uh, that, that came into Portland. So good result for the Loons, uh, three points uh, on the road. Anything on that game, Mossy? Yeah, obviously, I mean, it's tough to transition back to soccer after everything you just said. But obviously, if, if anything was said, then that's horrible and completely uncalled for. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Minnesota unbeaten in six. So after a rough start to the season, they've gotten going. They're getting uh, it together. They're getting it together up there. And, uh, you know, speaking of, of unbeaten, uh, and we're up there in Cascadia anyway, although it wasn't necessarily the result that they wanted because they're playing against the Whitecaps, the Seattle Sounders were en- ended up continuing to be unbeaten, although with a point at home, it's kind of going to feel uh, feel like a loss. But they continue to get points and uh, they continue to be very, very good. And the ability for Seattle to adjust through this year, despite being down men and situation, I mean, it's a credit to that team. And as, as we said, it's a credit to uh, Brian Schmetzer and everything uh, everything that he does. Anything from up there, Mossy? No, I mean, as you mentioned, uh, this is actually a disappointing result. Uh, this is one of the few times uh, this season where they missed Fry and goal because Cleveland didn't make a mistake. And also they missed Ladero and his inventiveness against a bunker down Vancouver uh, defense at the end of that game. So, but yeah, I mean, they, they're still, you know, uh, atop the supporter shield standing. So nothing to get too crazy, but. And then uh, Sporting KC, uh, they, uh, they beat LAFC. I mean, LAFC right now is, is not a good team. Okay. Uh, it, it has the potential of being a good team. And so uh, a lot of people are, are questioning um, whether they should continue on with uh, Bob Bradley, one of the architects of this team and has this incredibly successful run come to an end? And would they be better uh, transitioning away? As I said before, I think Bob Bradley's going to have a real long leash, and I think that that is absolutely appropriate and fair for who he is as a coach in this moment, what he has meant, and I know it's what have you done for me uh, lately, but I think that they are going to give him the opportunity to, uh, to fix this situation. Can it be fixed? I mean... If you haven't fixed it, uh, fixed it by now, then there's something going on. Uh, but I think it'll be given at least to the end of this year to figure out a way to fix it before they even contemplate uh, uh, making a change. Uh, uh, and speaking of changes, there's a whole lot more um, screaming and yelling when it comes to our friends in the Great White North, who are not actually in the Great White North right now when it comes to Toronto FC and Chris Armis right now, which is a complete disaster. And uh, I think he would he would say as such, it certainly has not gone as 
as he planned in terms of the results, in terms of the situation right now. And there's a lot of people saying that this new coach um, is in over his head and that a change should happen. I think it's much more likely that a change happens in Toronto than a change happens in LAFC. Anything on those, Mossy? No, I agree. Uh, LAFC, 12 points dropped from winning position, so they got to get that sorted. But Bob Bradley's earned enough currency there where he definitely uh, deserves more time. Uh, on Sporting KC, another good performance for Gianluca Buzio. I know he's been linked with every Italian club at this point, <laughs> but the latest is Venezia, which would be kind of neat. That, that was a great story from this past season. Uh, Venezia earning promotion to Serie A for the first time in 20 years. Uh, that's a club run by Americans. You know, I, I went to Venice for the first time in my life a couple of years ago, loved it. And so the idea that there's, on top of everything else that city has going for it, there's going to be a Serie A team uh, playing there when they earn promotion, they, they celebrated in the Grand Canal. And so, so yeah, I'd actually love to see that if, if Buzio is going to go to Italy. I mean, Venezia would not be a bad destination for him. Yeah, but, but give it time because by the time you're listening to this, there might be another five or six teams <laughs> that he's been associated. I mean, literally every time I turn uh, on Twitter or something like that, there's, a, there's another rumor about where he's going. And I mean, there's, it's even gone down where this, this money has been agreed to and then all oh, this money has not been agreed to it. So it's, it's all over the map. I mean, look, it's a, it's a good situation for him and it's a good situation for Sporting KC. And this should not be a surprise. He has been touted. He has performed. Uh, and so this, this move somewhere has always been in the works. It's just a matter of, of where he is ultimately uh, uh, going to go. Uh, anything else MLS-wise, Mossy? One last thing, you know, the first uh, match of the weekend, we did an FS1. Orlando uh, came from behind to beat Inter Miami 2-1. to one. They, they just showed David Beckham at the England-Germany game. And it might seem like he was having a good time, but what you could tell what was really weighing on his mind was Rodolfo Pizarro's fitness. I mean, he seemed very concerned about that. I uh, mean, we did our, uh, our, our power rankings over the, uh, over the week here. And as you can imagine, with what is going on in... Uh, uh, with Inter Miami, they plummeted because this is this is not good. They have yet to uh, win at home, and they have a they have a real problem. And they're not starting two designated players. And it is, you know, we we uh, we were talking about this on the uh, on the MLS broadcast the other day. And this is something that's happened over the years, and I've seen it plenty of times where a MLS team comes to the realization and. At times, it's it's the unfortunate realization that they possibly could be better without the designated players on the field than with them on the field. Now, I don't know if uh, Coach Neville down there is at that point, but he's not starting designated players in the form of Iguain and uh, and Pizarro. And although Iguain did come on the field and uh, and score a goal, it's just it is it is a mess down there, and not something that he or his boss and uh, and owner David Beckham probably anticipated, but they got to fix it because they should be much much better. What are you looking at, Mossy? What do you see? What's happening? One nil England. Raheem Sterling has just scored. Uh, they just cut to the box. You had Prince William, Kate Middleton, David Beckham all celebrating. So uh, exciting times. Uh, I'm sure Warren Barton, wherever he's watching this, is flipping out. Uh, well, it's England, coming home. Then. Fifteen minutes home. away. It's coming home. Oh my goodness. Well, uh, you know, I told uh, uh, was I you know, I had tweeted out earlier today that you know the uh, the um, the battle between those that want England to win and those that want England uh, or those that want Germany to win and those that want England to uh, to lose is real and it's that human human element right now. But there's a lot of people that want 
uh, England to win and not just uh, the English to kind of get this moment when we talk so much about checking things off and kind of getting past from a mental perspective uh, things that you have. So, I mean, it could change and it's very likely going to change, but so far so good, right? Uh, Germany have just earned a free kick in a very dangerous position. So, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> let's keep our focus on the pod. All right, all right. Well, listen, um, that's enough from an MLS perspective. When we uh, when we come back, we're going to take a real quick break, and when we come back. We will be talking about uh, the Euros and uh, Copa America and some other things that are happening out there because we are at the business end, shall we say, of uh, the tournament. No longer in the group stage, so don't go anywhere. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we are back, and as uh, as Mossy said, we are live watching this uh, Germany England game. Uh, England right now up one nothing, but still uh, some time to play, so it'll play out while we are doing this uh, pod. But there are also plenty of other games that have happened, and l- let's be honest, it's some some incredible games and some big surprises in terms of your big teams that are out. I'm I'm hard pressed to find a a better Monday, if you will, of soccer than Monday the uh, the twenty eighth, and the craziness that we saw when it came to uh, to the Euros, Mossy. Is that where you want to start? Absolutely. Thought it was one of the great days in any major international tournament. Fourteen goals in two games. Uh, you had uh, momentum swings, heroes, villains, drama, everything you could ask for. I know there's an ask Alexi question about what's better international football or club football. And, and the guy that asked the question said he prefers international football and he certainly picked a good week to (laughs) raise that issue. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I don't know which game you want to do first, but we, I mean, let's, let's, uh, let's actually go just back to, uh, to yesterday. We were recording on Tuesday, like we said, so back to yesterday where you had, you know, these crazy games that, Ended in regulation 3-3, and ultimately um, France goes out and Croatia goes out. But the way in which it uh, which it happened, Spain was not getting a lot of attention. And um, let's uh, let's start with that one, the uh, the Spain Croatia game. And evidently, I, I think Rob Stone was was saying three uh, one most dangerous score in uh, at least in Euros uh, when it comes to. Uh, when it comes to this tournament. What'd you think of the Spain-Croatia game, Austin? You know, I was completely wrong about Spain. I was down on them heading into this tournament, but they've played some very good football. They've been thoroughly superior in every game. Um, they gifted Croatia an opening goal, that that huge blunder by Simone, who, by the way, redeemed himself because later on he made some great saves, including one on Kramaric in extra time. Uh, another Spain player who redeemed himself is Morata, who had been getting death threats because of his missed chances, which is obviously ridiculous, uh, but he scored a, a great goal in extra time. Uh, and and they, they've really uncovered a star in Pedri. He's at the heart of everything good that they do. Um, and so uh, I thought they deserved it on balance over the 120 minutes. 
Uh, yeah, and just just an incredible, incredible match. But uh, Spain takes it, and they move on to the quarterfinals. Better team moved on, you think? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's kind of what we want. I mean, uh, when it comes to Switzerland and France, obviously, uh, the final France uh, loses on penalties to Switzerland. Now, we had seen this Switzerland team a couple weeks ago playing against the U.S. And I remember talking about it where this is a good team and this is a team that turned it on through that game and just a friendly type of situation and that you could see uh, you could see some of the quality and, you know, they're bringing it to bear, not only. Uh, getting out of their group, but obviously in in penalties, beating the world champions. Uh, did, did you see this coming, Mossy? No, this was absolutely stunning. The amazing thing about both games yesterday is that in both games, the better team had a 3-1 lead with less than 10 minutes left in regulation. You thought, okay, it's over. If anything, the floodgates have opened and they're going to tack on more goals. And in both instances, the underdog scored twice in the last few minutes to force extra time, which is mind-boggling. And, and this game, I mean, Switzerland miss a penalty to go up 2-0 and then uh, France come right back. Benzema scores twice then Pogba attacks on a third with an incredible uh, long-distance strike. And Pogba, by the way, had an amazing tournament. He really showed that on his day, he can yep. be the best midfielder in the world. Um, and man, at 3-1, it's France, it's Switzerland. You think the party's over. Uh, and, and for Switzerland to come back and, and score twice. And by the way, had a, another goal that was ruled out for very tight offside. Uh, and then they take it to extra time and they, they hold out extra time. It goes to penalties. Mbappe misses the decisive penalty. And it really is on the world stage, the first major setback in his career. Now, I... I read the French media every day. So he has gotten criticism after some of these PSG Champions League exits for going missing some of these big PSG Champions League matches. But from a global perspective, Neymar bears the brunt of that. And Mbappe actually benefits from being on the same team as Neymar so that when PSG go out in the Champions League, it becomes more about a Neymar failure than Mbappe. Uh, so really on the world stage, this is for a kid that's been anointed by me and many others as, as the, the, the second coming, the next guy that's going to take the baton from Messi and Ronaldo and, and dominate for the next decade. This is his first big major setback of his career on the world stage. And we'll see how he handles it. He is getting demolished. He had a lousy game. He had a bad miss and extra time that left footed finish after a great through ball from Pogba. And then of course he misses the decisive penalty saved by summer. So uh, yeah. Mbappe comes out of this as the villain fair or not. He's, he's taking the brunt of the abuse in the French media. All right. So before we, we move on to the previous day, was it in particular the France game, because you know, you have your world champions going out of the tournament. Was this more that France was bad or Switzerland was good? Yeah, I don't want to take any credit away from Switzerland, uh, particularly since uh, their coach, Vladimir Petkovic, is a dead ringer for uh, Frank Drebin from the Naked Gun movies, which are <laughs> my favorite. I know you don't like those movies, which is one of your worst takes ever. They're but ridiculous. every time I see that guy, oh I God. think of they, uh, they are horrible. Frank they are. Drebin, police There's squad. nothing funny, remotely funny about them. <laughs> and by the way, that guy speaks like eight languages. Uh, he puts Kate Abdo to shame. He so. would have been better in the Naked Gun movies, okay? I would have preferred <laughs> him. Okay, Uh Let's, uh, let's go back to Belgium 1, Portugal 0. Goodbye, Portugal. Goodbye, Cristiano. Uh, shouldn't necessarily be a surprise, although you were all over this Portugal team. And, and, and they're still a very, very good team. And they came up against a Belgium that there's plenty of people out there that have picked Belgium. Uh, but uh, thoughts on this game? Well, you know, there's been a little theme here. I know it's sort of cliche for fans to complain about managers being too pragmatic. And invariably, when you do that, there are others that come in and say, no, in tournament play, that's how you got to be. And it's about churning out results. 
But we saw a, a coach here in Fernando Santos who Portugal played a certain way in 2016. It worked. So he decided, well, we're going to try that again. But th there was different personnel this time. And you were left with this feeling that with the players he had this time around, they could have been more adventurous. You think of the guys that have emerged since the last year, it was like Bernardo Silva, Joel Felix, Bruno Fernandes, and obviously Ronaldo's still there. And so I, I expected more from this Portugal team. I was disappointed in the way they played in this tournament. Uh, you know, and to go back to France for a second, the other manager that came under criticism is Didier Deschamps, who you would think winning a World Cup would be a debate ender. But no, there's still this notion that uh, that France team with, with all the players they have isn't all it could be, that Deschamps is essentially a guy that owns a Ferrari and drives it like a Mazda and he gets you where you need to go. But you end up feeling like, boy, I was just in a Ferrari. That should have been a more exciting ride. And there's something about the way he manages that team where you feel like he's holding them back a little bit. And, and the other manager, frankly, who uh, was in danger of coming under that sort of criticism is Gareth Southgate. Uh, you know, we'll talk in a minute about all the talented players he left on the England bench today, but he's five minutes away from uh, being vindicated. So, but that's been sort of a general theme in this tournament. I think Portugal definitely fit into that if people feel like Fernando Santos didn't make the most of all his attacking talent. Uh, okay, then our, uh, our good friend, uh, um, Frank DeBoer, and the Netherlands bomb out against the uh, Czech Republic here. Uh, surprise? Uh, well, only because they had a very good group stage. They won all three games, so you felt like they were rolling. Uh, but it's not a hugely surprising. I mean, they're not that good. Uh, and, and Czech Republic get another goal from Patrick Schick, who everyone's joking he's, uh, he's going to be the winner of the James Rodriguez Award uh, this summer, the guy whose value is overinflated by a great performance in an international tournament. Uh, so, yeah, the Czech Republic move on. Uh, Netherlands crash out. And, and I think I saw news today. Maybe Jeff Hernandez can confirm. Frank DeBoer is out as Netherlands coach. They've already yes, announced. The only, the only question is he says he's walking away <laughs> and others say that he was fired. Either way, he's out. Yeah. Although he'll no doubt get hired by like Real Madrid next week because exactly. <laughs> that guy has mastered the art of falling up. All right. Well, speaking of masters, uh, it seems that uh, Harry Kane has just scored two. So now we're... Uh... Two nothing England. Surely now England it's are definitely off coming home, right? <laughs> They're going crazy. It's wonderful scenes. Wonderful scenes. Although they booed the national anthem. And look, you, you, I mean, you certainly are entitled to boo uh, another country's national anthem, but you're an asshole if you do it. I mean, let's be honest. So that was that was lame. But from an England perspective, I think he's on side. Looks on side to me. Yep. Heads it in. It's got to be over. Graylish, you put Graylish on, you see what happens, right? Okay. And there, Harry Kane, who did nothing for most of the game. But typical striker, right? You put the ball in the back of the net, and that's all anybody really cares about. Uh, okay, Mossy, uh, let's see. Italy, uh, you know, the... I mean, it's hard to say that Italy is a surprise of the tournament, but the way in which they played, although even in this game, there was a, there was a moment there where we were left saying, what have you done with our 2021 version of Italy? It almost seems that in real time, they regressed back to this uh, boring, unimaginative, defensive type of Italy. And then they kind of flicked a switch and came back to life and, and reanimated, if you, uh, if you will. Two to one against uh, Austria. Yeah, Italy is so impressive in the group stage. You thought they would roll here, but uh, they got a major scare from Austria uh, needed extra time. Chiesa comes up with a big goal, then Piscina gets the second one. Uh, so yeah, Italy, <laughs> they dodged the bullet here, but uh, they move on, which I, I'm happy to see because I do, I do like this Italy team. 
and then uh, the feel-good story of the tournament in a certain way, uh, Denmark 4 nothing, just completely trouncing, uh, trouncing Wales and continuing uh, their story that, that started out uh, so awful with the uh, Ericsson, situ- Ericsson situation. And they, they, just, they just keep rolling. And they, man, they got a good matchup in, in Wales, and so this shouldn't be necessarily a, a major surprise, but it was emphatic. Yeah, you said it. They are now the feel-good story of this tournament because of that horrible episode with Ericsson. And so uh, very glad to see that. Uh, there are now questions about Gareth Bale's international career, whether this was it for him with Wales. We know all the questions <laughs> at club level. Um, so uh, we'll see what happens with him. But uh, Denmark, move on. Uh, do we want to sort of treat this England game like it's over? And, yeah, let's uh, treat it like it's over, okay? Yeah, uh, so so listen, I was, I was talking to... Warren Barton and Keith Costigan this morning. And when the lineup comes out, I, I joked, I've never seen that much talent on an England bench because he left Sancho, Foden, Mount, Rashford, Grealish. And I know with Mount, there was a situation with Billy Gilmore and the COVID. And so there was an explanation there, but all the other ones were just coaching decisions and, and the starting 11 didn't look all that exciting. So you wonder, man, did he go too pragmatic here? But hey, I guess when you win, uh, you're vindicated and they're up 2-0 in the 90th minute. So it looks like England are going to get a massive victory over Germany. This will be it for Yogi Love. Hansi Flick will take over immediately after this tournament. Uh, and England will move on to the quarterfinals. And you got to be looking at this bracket uh, because they, would, they will face in the quarterfinals either Sweden or Ukraine. And then if they get to the semis, it'd be Czech Republic or Denmark. And by the way, the uh, semifinals and finals are at Wembley. Uh, so they got to get through a quarterfinal, which is in Rome, but then the last two games will be at home. So it might be coming home. This is really actually breaking nicely for them. Wow. You're, you're just completely setting them up for failure. <laughs> you're, that's, that is the kiss of, uh, kiss of death. Yeah. I mean, they have to be looked at as you know, one of the favorites, although uh, your Belgium's would certainly have something to say about that and the way that Spain has playing, uh, is playing right now. Um, okay, yeah, so th- this is done. And to your point about uh, Gareth Southgate, I mean, th- this is, a, this is an, an affirmation. This is, I think, a seminal moment for him in being able to do this. And he's taken plenty of uh, criticism. I mean, <laughs> the, not that Twitter is a focus group, but uh, I, I, I woke up and there was just tweet after tweet of people disagreeing with uh, with his 11. But I think that's more to your point about the amount of talent and depth that this England team uh, has at its, dis- uh, at its disposal. But when you win, um, people shut up, at least for a little bit. And more importantly, when you beat Germany, um, people were really shut up, giving the problems that Germany has, uh, has posed over the years. So congratulations to England uh, on a massive, massive victory. And it's, uh, I don't want to say it's, it's theirs to lose, but it's theirs to lose. Okay. Anything else, Masi? Uh, well, just very quickly, the quarterfinals. So it's uh, Belgium, Italy in Munich. That should be a phenomenal game. Switzerland, Spain in one of our favorite cities, St. Petersburg, Russia. Uh, and then England will face either Sweden or Ukraine in Rome. And then the Czech Republic and Denmark will score off in Baku. And then, as I mentioned, the semifinals and final are, are at Wembley. All right, let's uh, transition into Copa America. We got done with uh, the group stage last night, which was you know kind of a much more of a uh, things had kind of been decided. And when it came to watching games, it was fun to see Messi and company beat up on um, uh, on Bolivia and Messi with uh, a 
you know, a couple of goals and just kind of having fun, albeit against a team that was already out of the tournament and is not very good, even in even in normal circumstances. But we have our quarterfinals. So we have Peru, Paraguay, Brazil, Chile, Uruguay, Colombia, and Argentina, Ecuador. As we stand here with these quarterfinals, Mossy, what is what has stood out to you uh, when it comes to this tournament? Well, you know, you and uh, Stu Holden had a fascinating debate on television last well, night. Well, that's debatable. Even that's debatable. Who is more dependent on their big star, uh, Brazil or Argentina? What What would it look like if you took Neymar off Brazil and Messi off Argentina? And it's it's fascinating because in both cases, the the big star is being asked to play deeper than they ever have before, and and, and to really dictate play from from the midfield and and be the the person creating all the chances, but that means they can't always be up there to be the ones to put it away. Uh, and so you're sort of relying on other players to emerge and to be able to, to finish off these plays. And both teams have struggled with that. Um, Brazil are still searching for an answer at center forward. We've seen Firmino, we've seen Gabigol, we've seen Richarlison, Gabriel Jesus, and nobody's really taken hold of that position. Uh, similar with Argentina, although Lautaro Martinez finally uh, broke his duck uh, last night against Bolivia. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, do you want to share your thoughts on that? I thought it was a, it was a really interesting conversation. Yeah, I mean, my, my point to, to Stu was that I think that if you take Neymar off of Brazil and you take Messi off of Argentina, that Brazil is still a much higher functioning type of group. Um, and so, therefore, I think that Argentina is much more reliant on what Messi brings game in, game out than what uh, Neymar brings. Obviously, you want to have them both on the field. And to your point, they've both kind of come, not come to the realization because you don't, <laughs> shouldn't take any type of uh, a realization to understand that having the ball at the foot of Neymar or Messi is a good thing. But yes, they have dropped back and in, and in different ways. But, you know, for example, when Messi drops back into that lower type of position now with, uh, with this Argentine setup right now, it's almost as if a uh, He's like a a quarterback, right? Pulling back into that pocket and then having everything in front of him and being able to check off all the different things. Am I going to go throw here? Am I going to throw here? In the same way that Messi says, all right, am I going to play it here? Am I going to play it long? Am I going to combination play? Or am I going to, you know, am I going to run the ball, right? And for Messi, it'll be run with the ball. So of the two, I think that Messi is, I think, more suited and more comfortable to that drop-off type of position. I want, I actually want, I don't want Neymar doing what 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 Messi does. But yes, I do think that Argentina is much more dependent on uh, on they're this this Argentina team is much more dependent on Messi than the Brazil team is dependent on Neymar. I think from the run of play offensively, they would both look equally labored without their big star. Uh, I guess the slight edge for Brazil, and we've talked about this before on this podcast, would be they're more solid defensively, and I think they're better on set pieces. So they might be more equipped to grind out a result without Neymar than Argentina would be uh, without Messi. But obviously, we hope it doesn't come to that with either team because we want to see both those guys playing. Uh, Brazil and Argentina ended up on opposite sides of the bracket. That's the final everyone is hoping for. In terms of their paths, I would say Brazil have the tougher quarterfinal match. Argentina face Ecuador, while Brazil take on Chile, which is a very interesting game. Chile, they will have had a long layoff here. They went back to Santiago. Some people think that takes you sort of out of the rhythm of the competition. Others think, no, it'll give those older legs some rest, the Vargas and Vidal's and Aranguiz, and they, there's still an outside chance they get Alexis Sanchez back for that game. Um, 
And and so I, I to me it's 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 a scary opponent. I'm actually nervous about that game. Now, if Brazil get through that game, they would face either Peru or Paraguay in the semis, while Argentina would face either Uruguay or Colombia in their semis. So I would think there Argentina have the tougher game. Uh, but I mean, is that is that the final you're projecting? If you, did you come away from this group stage thinking those two are clearly ahead of the pack? Yeah, I think that Brazil is clearly the top. Uh, I think that Argentina, as long as Messi is playing, is is the uh, right below, and then I think there's uh, there's everyone else. With regards to these uh, these matchups, I, I disagree a little bit in that I think that Chile is a fine matchup for Brazil because I don't think that Chile can adjust. They are who they are, and the problem with them right now is the way that they have played and the way that they have, I guess, branded themselves to the world, especially over the last ten years, is is not to suck up pressure, is not to bunker in, is not to park the bus. And so they're going to play and they're going to feel that they can play. The problem is, and we said it time again, is those legs and this generation, this golden generation, is not what it once was. And so just because you think that you can do something doesn't mean that your body can actually back that up. And I think that's going to give space to Brazil to be able to work. I absolutely agree with you that Brazil, from a semifinal perspective, either playing Peru or Paraguay, and by the way, Paraguay going forward doesn't uh, could possibly not have Miguel Almiron, who went off hurt, and that's a real big loss for them, how important he is. But it's Brazil, uh, once they get past, or if they get past Chile, then I think that then it's a home sailing into the final. And Ricardo Gareca, the Peru coach, continues to do a phenomenal job. He got them to the 2018 World Cup for the first time in 36 years, gets them to the 2019 Copa America final, and here they are again. They finished second in, in that group behind Brazil. Uh, no Paulo Guerrero, no Rui Diaz. He's got Gianluca Lapadula, the Italian-born striker leading the attack, and yet they keep finding ways to get results under him. Yeah, the latest in Almiro I was just reading is he hasn't been completely ruled out for Friday, but they said it's highly unlikely uh, he'll be able to play. Um, Uruguay, Colombia, interesting one. Cuadrado suspended for that game, which hurts. Uh, Uruguay, not all that inspiring in the group stage. Uh, what do you make of that team with Suarez, Cavani, and company? I mean, last night I, I, I was asking the question, are we expecting too much? Um, and, you know, given the fact that this is a team with Suarez and Cavani and with a, a history of success, I don't think we are, but but who knows? Maybe maybe we are. I don't think that they have any team speed. Uh, I don't think that they have any creativity when it comes uh, when it comes to that midfield. But to your point about Cuadrado, which is basically their number ten, even though he operates from the from from wide, that is a huge huge loss uh, for Colombia. But this isn't this isn't a great Uruguay team. Yeah, Facundo Torres is the one player that has shown a little something for me in terms of the young Uruguayans and me, but inject some creativity into that uh, team. So hopefully he gets uh, more minutes in the knockout stage. A uh, couple of final notes on Brazil-Argentina. Uh, very happy to see Papu Gomez emerge yep. at this tournament. I know it's weird to be talking about a guy in his 30s as a breakout player, but he hasn't played much for them over the years. And so he's finally getting a chance at this tournament and showing what a good player he is. We talk about Argentina trying to find some scoring outside of Messi. Uh, he scored twice in the group stage, so he's a guy that's emerging be interesting to see if he starts uh, in the knockout stage and then you know one last brazil point that i, I just I, I find sort of vexing and i'm curious to get your take on this brazil for many many years uh 
were willing to make this trade-off because they had these real game-breaking players at the fullback positions, the Cafu, Roberto Carlos, Danny Alves, Marcelo. They were more conservative with their midfield choices because they needed their midfielders to cover the space that those fullbacks left behind. So they valued defensive range over playmaking ability in those central midfield positions. And when, when Chichi took over, and certainly at the start of this cycle, he made a big point of saying, well, we're going to change that. I'm going to keep the fullbacks back a little bit. And I'm going to try to pick more expansive players in those midfield positions. And I think Brazil have sort of ended up with neither at this point because Alexandra and Danilo, to me, are the weakest starting fullbacks Brazil have had in decades. They don't offer that much going forward. And, and then you have uh, Fred as one of those central midfielders who, who's really more of a defensive player, doesn't offer that much going forward either. So, I mean, they're just not getting a lot from those positions. And, and, and to bring it back to our main point, it just brings, puts even more pressure on Neymar to have to create everything. So, I mean, when you watch this Brazil team, are, are you surprised at how little you've, I mean, you've grown up your whole life watching Brazil with these right. marauding fullbacks. Are, are you surprised at how little they're, they're getting from those positions? And also that, that, you know, Chichi is not being a little bit more adventurous and with those two central midfielder spots and so the, the end result is you end up with a Brazil team that actually doesn't have that many different weapons. It really is just relying on Neymar creating for those two or three players up there. It's the cost of pragmatism. I mean, look, we, we, we say it time and time again uh, that no South American team has won a World Cup since 2002. And Chi-Chi has been very, very open about wanting to have this team be more solid defensively. And so if you're going to do that, you are limiting risk. And yet we associate risk with... Um, courage and with beauty and with creativity and with flair. And, you know, our friend Hernan Crespo, uh, you know, you had uh, pointed out that he wrote an article lamenting the, what he sees as the loss of flair when it comes to South American uh, soccer. But it's, it's a, it's a risk reward type of uh, situation. So, What's the thing that we talk about this Brazil and have been talking about this Brazil team since this tournament started? That they are much more solid defensively and they are built to withstand. Well, in order to do that, how are you going to get the other side, which is the beauty and the yoga boni, whatever type of uh, situation that, that, once again, this team has branded themselves over the year as? And is it is it a betrayal? Is it a betrayal to to you and so many Brazil fans who have a, an expectation that that you are going to go forward, that there are going to be players with flair, that there are going to be uh, risk taken, and there's a belief that it is worth that risk. And if the only risk and the only flair is Neymar, is that uh, good enough? I know I'm asking a lot of questions, but you know I I did something last night. It'll be out in a little bit about. You know, how much romance are you willing to take? Because you have to be willing, if you are a romantic, to lose. And in the loss, be true to whatever romantic notion you are, uh, you are attached to. And when it comes to Brazil, when it comes to Argentina, when it comes to South American players and, and teams in general, there is this this romance that has been associated with them. And when they become pragmatic, and there's a reason why teams become pragmatic, is because it works, okay? Will you accept that? Because you're getting, you're getting the results. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think it's different when you're talking about a Paraguay versus a, a, a Brazil. But I don't think it's changing anytime soon, Mossy, because those players that you mentioned on those uh, on those, those outside backs and that history of outside backs going forward, there's, they're not walking through this door right now. 
Yeah, I, I re- we can end on this. Uh, I remain steadfast in my belief that uh, the gap between Brazil and everybody else is not as big as it's been made out to be. I think people have created an imaginary monster here. I know the numbers look impressive for Brazil, but they've played an easy schedule. And so I think the numbers are more impressive than the team actually is if you watch him. Uh, it's funny, my entire life of following sports, whenever a coach is asked about the prospect of facing a certain team, they always say, well, we'll play whoever. We're not afraid of anybody. And somehow at this Copa America, it's become completely acceptable for players and managers to openly talk about wanting to avoid Brazil and we don't want to face Brazil. And you'd think they were talking about like the 1970 or the 1982 team. I mean, to me, it's such a pedestrian Brazil team that everybody's afraid to face. So, and yeah, I know they're home, but it's empty stadium. So I don't even know if that matters that much. So I don't know that that's been like a weird subplot in this tournament for me. I think Chile have more than a puncher's chance. I'm actually quite nervous about that game. I know you disagree, but I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think this is as strong as everybody. Debbie Downer for Brazil there, Mossy. Wow. Wow. I'm, I'm much more optimistic uh, about your Brazil team than, uh, than you are. Anyway, we will see uh, what happens. We got uh, uh, quarterfinals happening. Um, on Friday. Uh, so Friday's Peru and Paraguay and also Brazil and Chile, like we mentioned. And then on Saturday, it's Uruguay, Colombia and Argentina, Ecuador. So check all those out. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, Ask Alexis just around the corner. Don't go anywhere. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're back, and it's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag, and uh, as you know, we have our our hotline, which has been hot, and people uh, calling in and leaving us messages. And we really appreciate those of you that do. Uh, as we said many times, not everybody is on social media, and this gives an opportunity for uh, everybody, but including those that aren't maybe on social media, to be involved in the show. And that's 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. We have a, uh, a couple of calls this week, uh, uh, Mossy, from some different folks here. Um, who's first? Who's first? I think we're going William first. Okay. What does William have to say? What, uh, let's, uh, let's listen to him uh, and what he has to say. Hey, Alexi, Mossy. This is William from Indiana. I had a simple question for both of you. Which do you enjoy watching more, uh, club soccer or international soccer? And Alexi, maybe from your perspective, which one did you get more excited to play in? Uh, I'll say that uh, I like international soccer a little bit more. Through my youth, I, I didn't know a whole lot about soccer, uh, and then I got introduced to it more in the 2010 World Cup, and I've been hooked ever since, both as a MLS fan and as a uh, U.S. fan. Um, so just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Thank you. Oh, all right. Well, this uh, makes perfect sense then. And it, it, uh, it's part of what we've been talking about here, right? Uh, club and country. I, I don't know about you, Masi. I, I, I like the international game and I prefer the international game. I understand what, what club brings and there's some wonderful, wonderful aspects of it. But the, the way that the international game kind of transcends all of the, you know, the money and contracts and trades and transfers and all that kind of stuff. And it is in a certain way, a great equalizer. You have, you have incredible players who 
for for club play for play in a certain situation. And when they go to the national team, it's a very different situation and different dynamic, and they have to adjust. I love that. I love the the national type of moment that it is, both for player and for for fan. I love you know the flags and the anthem and the walkout and the pride and the history involved in the international game. So yeah, I would say for me, both watching and playing. I mean, look, I had a wonderful time playing for all the different teams that I, that I played for, but there was nothing that gave me a greater sense of pride than putting on the American jersey, walking out on that field with that team, putting my hand over my heart, singing that anthem and then going out and representing what I feel is the greatest country in the world. And I would do it at, I'm 51 years old today. And if Greg Berhalter said, Hey, I need you. I would not hesitate in the least. I would give anything to be able to do that again. It's not even the kicking the ball. People ask me, do you miss kicking the ball? I mean, I miss being able to represent my country in that way because it is so unique and it is, um, it's so powerful, at least for me. That's uh, that's what I think. What about you, Masi? This might seem like a cop-out, but I like the yin and yang of it, which is why I bristle sometimes at, at these things like the Nations League. I don't think international football should try to compete with club football for relevance 12 months out of the year. I like the fact that it's in small doses and there's that drama that comes with the finality of this is your chance and if you fail, it's going to be another four years. Or And so, you know, I, I think that's what makes international football more dramatic than club football. And so they should preserve that. And there's something special about watching your national team play a big game because it doesn't happen that often. If they were playing all the time that, you know, you'd lose a little bit of that luster. So I kind of like, you know, majority of the year, my, my brain is focused on clubs, but then, you know, you sort of parachute in for these major tournaments and you can really sort of get immersed in international football. And it's great. I, I, I can't deny the pageantry of these international tournaments. What, what we've seen the last couple of days. I mean, nothing beats it. It's phenomenal. And look, I, I recognize the, you know, the fractured nature of club soccer, right? And the tribalism that exists in, in our game. But, but, but the other thing, and, and we'll move on after this, but um, the way that the international game brings people together, and, and I know it happens from a club perspective, but it ha- this happens in a country. And you are supporting a team, and you might be of completely different backgrounds and the way that you think about Politics, and I know politics is in, in, infects a lot of sport and informs a lot of sport, especially nowadays. But the reality is that when when the U.S. men's national team or the U.S. women's national team is playing, you are oftentimes surrounded by people, and your connection is this country, okay, and the representation of this country. And you may be completely opposite sides of the political spectrum or uh, or any other thing out there. But in this moment, you can come together and you come together as a country. And especially in our country, which is which at times can be so divided in the way that we think about things. I like things that are able to bring us together and that even if just for 90 minutes, we can agree upon and 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 cheer and support and in doing so, recognize and respect and revel in 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 our country. I, I, I like those things. And that's one of the things that I really love about uh, about the international game. All right. What's the next question, Mossy? Uh, next one is from Bill. 
All right, let's see what Bill has to say. Hey, Lexi and Mossy. This is Bill Anderson. Love the podcast. Always polished and entertaining. Um, I'm biased as a native New Englander, but the uh, New England Revolution are a really interesting team this year. Perhaps the league's best keeper, Matt Turner, good depth off the bench, and an interesting mix of young and veteran talent. Um, Recognizing it's still so early in the season, do you think they're punching above their weight at the moment, uh, or do you think they're a top contender for the MLS Cup this year? That's it. Thanks. All right, Bill. I mean, you're feeling good about your uh, New England Revolution, as you should. And I hope this isn't that we haven't or that we've ignored the New England Revolution. I think I don't think we have. I think we've talked about the New England Revolution, but they deserve to be talked about. And we talked a little about in the in the uh, first segment about uh, what New England is this year, and it's been it's been wonderful. And I think the way that Bruce Arena has come in. And what they're sitting at, what, uh, first place, 7-2-2. Two, and two. Um, And the way that Bruce Arena has kind of, this isn't, a, this isn't the right way to say it, but dumbed it down isn't right, but made it very, very clear to the players. You can see that they know what he wants, and they are able to do that. And look, Bo and, uh, and Heal uh, are are players that any team in the league would want, and they are performing. Bo with his five goals, um, Gil with his 10 assists. I mean, he is he is having an MVP type of season right now. Uh, this is all great, and I'm knocking on wood, because if you have injuries, if you have problems, that, that could be a problem. Now, Buxa, who is also a designated player, and we talk about designated players needing to perform, um, he's got four goals, but he's only, I think, started about half the games. So your designated player isn't even necessarily starting. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but you kind of want all of your designated players firing on all cylinders and being able to start for your team. Otherwise, it's kind of a waste of the spot and it's kind of a waste uh, of money. But you're still getting performance uh, performance out of him. All of that is to say is, is that this is a fun team to watch for you know the first time in a while, okay? Uh, this is a competitive team regardless of who uh, who they are playing. Uh, and this is a team that I'm really excited about for that area and uh, and what that means to that New England uh, New England fan base there that hasn't had a lot to scream and yell about when it comes when it comes to their team. And this is a team that I think other teams look at and say, oh boy, uh, this is not this is going to consistently be hard. Doesn't mean they're not going to lose games. The New England Revolution isn't going to lose games, but they are uh, rightfully uh, um, one of the one of the best teams in the league. Now it should be noted too that from a defensive perspective, when we always say defense wins championships. It's they're not they're not the top of the league in terms of goals against. Okay, they have a great goalkeeper, and I think that that in and of itself shows you um, how much they are relying on him. But it's not as if they're getting shutout after shutout after shutout. What that means is that because they have a great goalkeeper and we're continuing to talk about Turner, um, he's making a lot of saves and very, very good saves and important saves. And yet they are still letting in goals. So that could be a concern uh, going uh, going forward. But the results that they're getting, and if they're just going to outscore everybody, that's, that's, uh, that's fine too. And knock on wood, as long as everybody stays healthy, this is going to be, I think, the team to beat in the East – and certainly a team that could find its way uh, to MLS Cup in the way that it's built. Uh, what else, Masu? We got anything else? Uh, after two voicemails, we'll end with a Twitter question. Oh, okay. 
Uh, Jorge Blanco asks, just watched LFG. What's your take? Oh, so LFG is the new documentary on HBO about the U.S. women's national team and their ongoing legal battle um, in the courts uh, against the United States Soccer Federation, their employer, um, relative to uh, equal equal pay. Uh, I watched it the other day. It's about an hour and 45 minutes. Um, Let's see. I think it's incredibly well done uh, in terms of the production and in terms of the way that it was made uh, in terms of keeping your attention. Now, having said that, um, it is, quote unquote, a documentary, but it is, and probably by design, um, much more of a, um, a promotional type of piece. It is one-sided. The only time that you really get the other side is when the women's own lawyer is explaining what the arguments from the other side is. And that's never going to give you a fair and accurate representation. It should be noted that the the documentary comes on air saying that the United States Soccer Federation refused to participate. Now, they also knew that this was coming out and they tried to get ahead of it and they had... Uh, uh, the president, Cindy Parlacone, out doing media and talking about it. They had a tweet storm uh, and a thread that you can read. I retweeted it going kind of line items about where they felt that people were being disingenuous or just downright misstating the facts relative to what has happened. Um, but as I said, I think that this is a a promotional vehicle, Okay. And it is designed to put the United States women's national team in the best possible light. And in that sense, it accomplishes it. I mean, it should probably should win a Clio, okay? But as an actual documentary where you are getting a fair and accurate representation, uh, and I know all, all, doc, all documentaries to a certain extent come at from different sides, but I think there wasn't the opportunity to see and understand, which is, it's kind of a complex uh, situation, why... Um, why there are, what the other side is, why um, at times uh, the legal system has decided one way or the other. Uh, Megan Rapino and company come off looking great, as you would expect. I mean, I love Megan Rapino because of the personality that she is and the courage that she has and the way that she is able to use her platform and her megaphone and, um, and the media to say what she wants. I don't agree with everything that she says, but I love the fact that uh, that I'm seeing kind of an artist at work in the way that she is able to use and manipulate it to her advantage in a good way. That's not that's not a, a bad thing. Okay, um, and this is and Megan's not alone. Okay, the U.S. Women's National Team long ago won the PR battle, and the um, the court of public opinion. Uh, was won long ago by the U.S. women. And I think the United States Soccer Federation has actually done a piss poor job of making their case and finding ways. And it's difficult against, uh, you know, because the U.S. women rightfully have a lot of attention. They take up a whole lot of oxygen when it comes to it. Um, I was not impressed with the representation for the women. I didn't think that uh, the attorneys, Kessler and uh, uh, Levinson, I think it is, 
I, I didn't think that they came off great. Um, and in a production that's designed to kind of make everybody look good, that's not necessarily, um, you know, they, that's not necessarily a good thing. But all in all, I think I, I didn't learn anything new necessarily. I do think that at times in an effort to make it more dramatic, there was, and, and everything's in the edit, right? But there was kind of a, a sense of, uh, I, I, I kept thinking to myself, well, where's the self-awareness? I, I, I get it that it takes up time to file a lawsuit. I get it that you have to read a lot of things and you have to immerse yourself in what's going on while you're actually playing soccer. But you still live a charmed life, okay, relative to most people in the world. And so at times I think it got so dramatic or attempted to get so dramatic that there was kind of a loss of um, the reality of, of the situation uh, that you had. And that's not, once again, that's not me saying that the fight shouldn't be had, but maybe some perspective w was necessary. And again, it's a, it's a production. So all in all, check it out. I don't necessarily think those of us that have been around for a while are going to learn a whole lot. And as I said, it's, uh, it's, it's one-sided by design and it paints the women individually and collectively and their, uh, and their fight in an you know, incredibly positive type of way. But we all know that there, there is a reason why this fight is happening and there are other, there are other arg arguments out there. And it would have been nice if that was if that was done, to give it some sort of balance and in doing so, make it, I guess, less shaded or less biased, if you will. Anyway, uh, it's cool. You should check it out. Uh, anything else, Moss, when it comes to Ask Alexi? That's it. Uh, okay, um, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, oh yes, I will have my one for the road. Don't go anywhere. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, we are back. We've come to the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, as you know, we uh, do our one for the road. I got asked a question, and I mentioned it in brief, I think, uh, last week about, um, about logos. And we can call them brands and, you know, the rebranding that's happening right now. And we had a, uh, a leaked, speaking of the New England Revolution, which we talked about in the last segment, we had a leaked New England Revolution brand. Now, I've been around a long time, and I've seen brands come and go. I've been involved in rebrands, in particular with the, uh, the Los Angeles Galaxy. And as I've said many times, you're never going to please everybody. When I look at this uh, New England Revolution rebrand, and I've tweeted it, and you can find it out there online, if this ends up being the actual thing, it's actually looks, it looks pretty good. Now, we know that New England Revolution are the last remaining original brand in the, the 
the flag logo that they have. And so this would be the end of the original era when it comes uh, when it comes to those brands. We've also seen the Chicago brand, which I mentioned really briefly, um, the re rebrand, <laughs> if you will. And I actually think they did a uh, they did a good job. It looks good. Probably if they had come out with this at the at the very beginning, both in terms of the aesthetic and the way that they went out of their way to include people and to include fans in the process, it would have been probably more palatable from folks. You're always going to have people that want the original brands, and I, I get that, especially when it comes to uh, Chicago and that iconic type of brand that uh, has been around since 1998 when they came on as an expansion team. Uh, with, but with that going away, uh, this new one that they've come out with, uh, and you can see it, I've tweeted it, uh, it's uh, it's it's good, and as I said, it it's a result of their initial rebrand, which did not go over well, both in terms of the aesthetic and the lack of input uh, that we had. I would have been really interested to see had the original rebrand for Chicago involved the input that the re rebrand had, what the take was, because your perception of something changes and can change dramatically when you are involved. And that, if anything, is a lesson to all the teams out there. If you want to go it on your own, then you damn well better be sure that what you're coming up with is good, okay? Because even if it's, even if you think it's good, the fact that people haven't been involved in the process is going to sway how they see something. And so at times, is it just lip service that you're giving? Yes, but there is a value to it, okay? And at least having people believe that they are part of the process. And I think at times, uh, you know, while I talk a lot about business and business decisions, and I am firmly in support of capitalism and, uh, and businesses doing what they feel is appropriate for their, uh, for their customers, you know, I'm in the middle of a, actually, I just finished a, a podcast about New Coke. And I think I've talked about it before, but it's a really, really interesting deep dive into how a brand goes about changing um, the brand and how that perception is so important. And the involvement or the lack of involvement of your customer, in this case, it would be your fans, uh, is, is crucial to how they ultimately view. So much so that, I mean, for example, in the Coke, the Coke situation, you know, their testing told them, and it bared out time after time after time, that the new Coke was better tasting. People preferred it, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter because of what you put it in. And the lack of input and the lack of connection that people had. So going forward, because we're going to see more rebrands at different times, and we saw it over in Columbus where they raised their hand when they said, you know, we messed up, and they tried to incorporate uh, people, people in. And it shouldn't be something that you need to be taught, um, but when, when it comes out that you haven't included anybody and included your customers in these decisions that you make, and you're going to go it alone, as I said, you better be damn sure that it is good. And, um, and don't be surprised at all when what you're 
data or your research has told you is good is looked at very, very differently in, uh, in the real world by Ultimate Year customers. Uh, but check them out. So uh, they're, they are interesting and they are probably stories in and of themselves, maybe even some podcasts in and of themselves about how the Chicago brand happened uh, or how the, the, the Columbus brand happened or how about if this new New England Revolution brand happens and what it coincides with going forward. Mossy, anything uh, before we head out? I know this is completely out of context, but uh, I forgot to mention we were talking about the Euros, uh, that Belgium-Italy quarterfinal. Uh, Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne are evidently unlikely to play in that game due to injuries, so that uh, might swing it in favor of Italy. Although, who needs Eden Hazard when you have Thorgan Hazard? Exactly. Uh, so. We got the, the better Hazard to, to some, right? <laughs> And, and by the way, folks, if you're listening at home, uh, feel free to send in an Ask Alexi next week about UEFA doing away with the away goals rule, because otherwise I'm not sure where, where we're going to get that in in, this, uh, uh, in these podcasts. But I do want to talk about that because that was actually big news that came down in the last few days. We will talk about that next week, one way or another, whether it's a question or not. <laughs> I guarantee that we will talk about that because I want to hear it. Now, it's a hell of a tease, Mossy. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right, listen, uh, thank everybody for, uh, for tuning in. As always, we, uh, we appreciate you understanding that we are... Traditionally, we, we record on Monday and it's out Tuesday. Now we're recording on Tuesday and it's out Wednesday. I hope that you will forgive us. And uh, at some point later on in the summer, when we get uh, through these tournaments, it'll probably uh, change uh, change back. But um, we we love that you listen. We love that you subscribe. We love that you review and rate and do all the different things out there. And we hope that you keep, uh, keep doing it because we're going to keep doing it. We will talk again next week right here on the State of the Union. And until then, and as always, size the day. Yeah.